0: The Small Town Business Podcast is sponsored by Visit Gippsland, the land of many wonders. Head to visitgippsland.com.au to plan your trip. Whether it's walking and hiking or cycling or driving, camping, fishing, drinking and eating, you'll be exploring some of the most unforgettable destinations around. Head to their website or get inspired by their social media. All the links are in the show notes.
1: I wanted to have the farmer's market, I wanted to have people coming together and connecting over food. So for me, that was, a, a, was purely selfish. This is what I wanted for my family.
0: Events can make a huge difference to a small town's fortunes. Economically, they can be amazing, driving tourism and often allowing local businesses to generate a source of income through things like regular market stalls or food vans. But events though wonderful to attend, well, there are a lot of work in concept creation, getting them up and running, and then keeping them fresh as the years go by. Most small towns will have a regular calendar of events like farmer's markets or harvest festivals, or maybe something warm and fuzzy around the winter solstice. If your town doesn't, then maybe this is something you've thought about getting started or getting involved in. Behind every one of those events, is a person or persons who have had the passion to get it going and the tenacity to show up every time. I wanted to talk to someone like that, and I knew exactly the person. Welcome to the Small Town Business Podcast. I'm Erica McInerney. Today, I'm chatting with Ali Walker from Walker Events, who you'll hear is incredibly passionate about creating events for her small town bringing community together and creating opportunities for growth and development of tourism all year round. So let's start by finding out where she is.
1: I live in Mansfield with my family. We've been here since 2006. We did the Great Tree Change when we had little people. We had a three-year-old and a not quite two-year-old. We moved up here for two years back in 2006. It's now 2023 we moved up here my husband got a job at the local ski resort a a full-time job not a seasonal position and it was so far out of my realm of understanding and everything else I said I can do this two years then we'll come back for our eldest to start prep she finished year 12 in 2020 (laughs) so we didn't move back for her to start prep and my youngest has just finished year 12 last year. So we stayed and we have no intention of moving. It was six weeks from when my husband applied for a job to us moving. So it was very fast. There wasn't a lot of time to, to really think and consider what was going on. And we moved up um, in a year where, so he worked a ski resort. We moved up where it was one of the worst ski seasons in however many years. We then merged that into a drought which was so much fun. And then we um, morphed into the 2006-07 fires. So it was a, a real baptism into a small community. I probably met more people in that first six months because of all those things that were going on
0: than I would have in our street in Melbourne in five years that we lived there. Tell me about your farmer's market and how you got into events. When we left Melbourne I was working in health and education totally
1: not in the tourism space at all and I continued with that to start with when we moved up here but it was I found it quite difficult because I had two small people I had no family up here I had or I had a brother-in-law who was also working full time uh, my husband had gone from working part time and us juggling our jobs around both being carers for our girls And now he was leaving home at seven in the morning and sometimes getting home at 6.37 at night. I was kind of having to remake and rethink about what I was doing. And, I mean, Mansfield, for anyone who knows it, is, you know, it's a land of events. There's so much that happens up here. And so I kind of jumped onto that kind of wave. And fairly early on I did a high country tourism industry leadership course uh, which again was just something totally new and different for me. But I met up with a whole lot of people from throughout the northeast and learned from what they were doing, and learned about what I was doing, and kind of re reimagined what I could do here that was going to make me happy. And also remembering that I was basically the at home parent, I had to be the flexible one, the one who could do pickups from kinder and school and be there if the kids were sick and, and stuff. So I could still work, but I just needed to be a little more flexible. And so the farmer's market came about. We used to live in Hughesdale, and every Saturday morning it was a bit of a a rhythm of our family that we would go down to the Oakley market and we'd meet up with my father in law for breakfast. We'd do our shopping and we would talk to everybody, and you'd be buying your carrots or your tomatoes or, or whatever, and you'd have a chat. And we were kind of looking for that again, remembering that when we moved up here in 2006, Mansfield was a different landscape to what it is now. It was still a fabulous little community, but it wasn't the size that it is. Now we've got you know, a couple of fabulous fruit and veggie shops that we didn't have. We've got an organic grocer. We've got all those sorts of things on top of our two supermarkets, but they weren't here when we moved up here. And so I had this idea, it was when farmers markets were starting to come about and there are actually some markets down in Gippsland that I was following on, they're in the newspaper and all of that kind of stuff because, you know, we're back pre-Instagram and and those sorts of things. And I had this idea and thought, well, hang on, well, why can't we have one in Mansfield? There was a, a large market from down in Gippsland and I contacted him, I said, oh, you know, you're setting up all these markets, do you want to come and set one up in Mansfield? And he went, yeah, 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 that sounds great. And we chatted back and forth. And then he said, oh, actually, I'm really, really busy at the moment. I'm setting up this market and that market. Why don't you do it yourself? I went, huh, really? Myself, do myself. Okay. So when, when we'd been living in Melbourne, I worked in health. And as part of my professional association, I helped organise the conferences and things like that. So I'd had a bit of experience with events, but not about organising food, a food market, a farmer's market. And so I went and spoke to someone at council and they went, oh, yeah, you know, this is what you need to do. And um, I started visiting a lot of markets because they're fabulous things to do when you have small people. And so we would go and we'd visit markets and I'd hand out cards and I'd say, oh, you know, I'm going to start a market September 2009. And I think I started thinking about this in probably the January or February and I, I gave myself a date and went, okay, let's do this and thinking, oh, I might have you know, if we have eight or 10 stalls, I'll be really happy. And I think at that, that first one, we had 18, and which just blew me away completely. I've got one stall holder who's been at every single market since that first one. And then I've got another wave of stall holders that came in that first couple of, of months and have been there ever since. So that's really cool. And we've now grown, you know, we started in 2009. My maths isn't that great. we well, are up to 14 years, 14, 15 years. We you know, made it through COVID. I've cancelled one market in all the years that we've been on. Yeah, it kept on growing and the, the market mix has changed. We've had some stallholders who came in with a new product that they wanted to test and they were at the market for six or eight months and then they they moved on because they grew too big for us uh, or they were able to get into the supermarkets or they set up a farm gate at home and no longer had time to come to the market. And then we've got others who going to markets is their way of life. You know, we're the fourth Saturday, but they go to markets every single Saturday and
0: Sunday. It's a real lifestyle, isn't it? Testing products at a market or a farmer's market is actually a really, really great thing to do, particularly if it's something that needs some sort of sensory element, like, you know, you need to taste it. You can do that at a market and you can have those conversations with people because you get this amazing direct feedback as well. And you can watch people and you can ask them when they sniff it or they taste it. If they don't, then buy it. You can ask them questions. You know, you can say, why don't you like it? And people are super honest, you know, they'll, they'll come and they'll try it and they'll say, you know, it's too salty or I don't like the way it smells or, you know, whatever it is. You get that really direct feedback and the positive feedback as well. Now, you've moved on to be managing a a stack of things, am I right?
1: Yeah, that's right. So the market is still there. It's still on every fourth Saturday. It's just going to keep bubbling away in the background. But in 2012, the Melbourne Food and Wine Festival used to run an event called a Roast on Your Table and it was in the middle of the year and it was an opportunity to be a part of the Melbourne Food and Wine Festival at a, a lower price. It was for the whole month of June. You could run an event then and you just had to talk about roast. It could be roast meat, it could be roast vegetables, it could be roast whatever. I work with a, a couple of food businesses and hospitality businesses in town and one of them in particular, the the owner is Just as um, happy to take a punt as I am. So we were talking about uh, running a, you know, running a dinner and what could we do and something about the ski season because, of course, June we're we're heading into ski season and we we come from a a snow town. And up at Mount Stirling, which is the sister mountain to Mount Buller, there's a cafe called Telephone Box Junction. And we said, wouldn't it be fabulous to run a dinner up at TBJ? We could invite people up and we'd do it midweek and we'd test the market and see if people were willing to buy a ticket to a dinner. And because of the timing of the year, we had a particular hotel local, the Siebel, out in in Meridig. And we said, oh, you know, stay here, buy your ticket for dinner. It includes transport up the mountain and you know dress up warmly because we're above the snow line the dinner was called one two three four dinner served because telephone box junction is at 1,234 meters altitude and so we had this dinner and it sold out within days it was so fast Um, we had probably I don't know 25 people and it was fantastic there were fairy light tea lights everywhere and an open fire and fabulous food and it was it was magical the photos that we've got of it it's just amazing but it was so much hard work <laughs> because at the end, so at the end of it, you know, we've served up this magnificent three-course dinner or four-course dinner and all the guests have left and we're up there in the cold and the wet and, you know, there was a little bit of snow and packing, picking up all these stupid tea lights that we'd put around everywhere and packing that away. and But Probably a month later, we forgot about that. We forgot about the hard work that was involved in in having a a dinner like that. And so the next year when this roast on your table came up, Gil and I said, oh, hang on, let's do another one. We did a dinner in a shearing shed, long tables, uh, had some music, again, great food, all of that kind of stuff, a big bonfire outside. Again, that one sold really well. Again, lots and lots of hard work, so much setup, so much pack up, all of that kind of stuff, the kitchen set up in a marquee outside and, and serving this fabulous food. Once again, we had really short memories like little goldfish and so the year after we went, oh, you know, let's do this again. Let's do something a little bit quirky like our first dinner. And so Mount Buller have an inflatable igloo a big branded igloo that they use for a lot of their promotions. And so we asked them if we could borrow it. And so we, they, yeah, yeah, of course you can. And so we brought that down and we put it at the entrance to town near the visitor information center. And we had a seated dinner for 45 or 48 inside an inflated igloo. So it glowed. It was it was stunning, absolutely stunning. But that one there, I think, was the event that broke us. That was the one. That was the one where we got to the end, and my partner in crime, Girl said, "Oh, Ali, I, I think we're done. I think, I think we need to. Let's just do something really easy." And part of the thing with these dinners in June was, without really knowing it, we'd actually timed them so the middle of June around the winter solstice. It just it was pure coincidence. It wasn't a planning thing. It was just that that was when they fell. And so for 2015, we said, oh, let's just do this really small community event. We'll do it in the main street so we don't have to set up a kitchen, all of that kind of stuff. We'll do some lanterns and we'll celebrate the winter solstice. Yeah, 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 that's a great idea. We paired up with the Mansfield Arts Council, they support all things art in town and they ran some workshops for people to make lanterns and the premise was I said come along at I think it was like five or five thirty. The sun went down at five thirty and walk around on the median strip holding your lantern that you've made and we had some music and we'd found one of the other cafes, I think it was, or maybe the Bendigo Bank had donated some money so that we could have free hot chocolates. And I thought, yep, this is really nice. This is really little. I kind of expected about 25 of my friends to turn up and that was about it. And it got to quarter past five on this cold Saturday night and all these cars were pulling up along the median strip and people were getting out and little kids all wrapped up in coats and they had their had their lanterns. And we had about 90 people and our mm-hmm. local orchestra came and they played And afterwards, I had people coming up to me going, that was fantastic. That was so good. It was something we could do with our kids. We talked about the winter solstice. They walked around with these lanterns. We made this little mini parade. And they said, you you need to do it again. I went, oh, oh, okay. All right. We'll we'll try that one again. And the year after, we had a few little issues with insurance. And again, a local business stepped in and said, well, rather than hold it in the median strip in the main part of town, why don't you hold it in our courtyard, in the beer garden at our pub? And so with thanks to Dean and his crew at the Delatite Hotel, I said, oh, you know, that would be fabulous. So would be so good. And he said, oh, how many people do you think you'll have? And I said, oh, well, we had, you know, like 80 or 90. For the first one, I don't know, we might hit 120. Let's see how we go. We opened the gate to the courtyard and... Again people just came from nowhere i think we probably had 3 or 400 people walking down the streets carrying their lanterns and just piling into the, the gate in the courtyard at the pub and we were both just standing there going oh okay this this thing's got legs this is this is really big what are we going to do <laughs> and it, it just continued to grow and it we got to 2019 and we had coverage from regional television and we we par- at that stage we'd partnered up with shire council to do it and we were in a located in a car park off the main street and they put we put fairy lights and we had open fires and we had it was just a dj and we had some local food vendors and we had someone doing a fire fire show and and things like that we had maybe 1500 people it was freezing cold, really, really cold June night to celebrate the winter solstice. It was it was magnificent and it just totally blew me away. I, I remember standing there watching it and one of my friends said, You just you need to close your mouth, Ali. You just you know, I was standing there with my mouth open, just going, Oh wow, oh wow, there's so many people. We'd kind of jumped from like year three or year four of the business plan, like right up to year nine or ten, because the, the growth had been so huge. And then of course 2020 happened and i thought that was i thought that was the end we we've had this massive big 2019 and then and then nothing and and can we come back from that and then 21 started with such hope and promise. And I went, yep, sure. Connected with my contact at council, who was fantastic. And she was like, okay, we can do this and we can do this. And we've got this much funding to help you out. And then as it got closer and closer and everything started to shut down again, and we were messaging back and forth and we said, okay, well, we'll get rid of this bit and we'll get rid of that bit. And we actually had these magnificent neon installations. It was the event that you have when you're not having an event because we weren't allowed to have events. And so there was no food on offer apart from what was in the cafes. There was no music. There were no places to gather. The message that we put out was that you could do a lap of town and drive past them in your car. I actually found 2021 to be harder to deal with as an event organiser than completely cancelling in 2020. Cause 2020, it was just like there's nothing, whereas 21, I was like, we can can rebuild this. So 21 was really hard. And then 22, we started again. And I I had an amazing grant from Regional Arts Victoria. And I again had support from our local Shire Council. And there was that bit going, are people going to come back? And they did. (laughs) They did. We had nearly 2000 people in June last year. So it was just, it was
0: amazing. You said something back there that pricked up my little ears. And that was the words business plan. Now you're running these events as a business, Walker events. And I thought given my audience, there's a lot of small towns, there's a lot of towns out there that don't have anything like this in place that Uh, There might be people out there who are thinking about setting something like this up but think, oh, it's all too hard. And to be honest, when you're describing it, I'm remembering exactly (laughs) how hard it is. But talk to me about the – business side of things, there's, there's obviously there's two ways to go about this. One is to run it as a, as a private organisation. And in that case, you take on the risk, um, but mm-hmm. you also take on the reward. And there are ways to make money from things like farmers markets. Yeah. Um, the other way obviously is to do it as a community run organisation. So there's a lot of grants out there. There's a lot of places that you can go to, to get advice on setting up. So it sounds to me, if you're getting some grant money for this festival that perhaps that has got an element of that sort of community involvement. Do you have any advice for people out there who who might be sitting there thinking, I wish we had a farmer's market in town, but I'm too scared to do it myself?
1: Someone said to me really early on with the farmer's market, you're never going to make a lot of money from a market. And it's so true. There's so much work that goes into it. But I think when I set up the farmer's market, so much of it was like it it was purely for selfish reasons. I wanted that kind of event in town. I wanted to have the farmer's market. I wanted to have people coming together and connecting over food. I didn't want it to be a trash and treasure market. I didn't want it to have homemade articles or or whatever. I wanted it to be food. So for me, that was a, a, was purely selfish. This is what I wanted for my family. And I spoke to a lot of people at that stage. I spoke to Farmers Market Association. I spoke to people who were already running markets. I asked them what their setup was. I asked them how it worked. And I suppose my biggest concern at the time of starting it up, remembering this was back when farmers markets were a fairly new thing on the on the horizon, and I was really concerned that if I went with an incorporated association and I didn't have a, a really wide group of people that wanted to play this game with me, the rules and guidelines could change, that it would be really easy for someone else to come in and change the direction of what it was that I had set up and I didn't want to play that game. And so, yeah, I've missed out on, with especially with the farmers markets, missed out on so many grants and possible funding opportunities and all of that kind of stuff because I'm just not eligible for them. But my reason why for starting it up has stayed the same and so – that that's okay for me going forward. But I think the first person to to speak to would be to one, if you can go and talk to somebody who already has a market or runs a market and find out about the, the bits and pieces about organising it. And then go and talk to the events person or the tourism person at your local council and say, hey, I've got this idea. I'd really like to to start this market. What do you think? Do you think we can can do it. And the, the timing of the market is really, really important as well. The reason we chose the fourth Saturday was it was from a stallholder point of view, but it was also to fit in with the way we have visitors to the region. If we'd had the market on a Sunday morning, that's when people are leaving to go home and go back to Melbourne or back to wherever they've come up from the weekend. Whereas if we have it on the Saturday morning, that's when they're looking for things to do. They're out there, they're wanting to buy something for dinner, something for afternoon tea, something to put in a hamper to go down to the river. And so it was kind of a a two-pronged thing that that was going to potentially fit our visitor market by having it on the Saturday morning and then also fit in with, you know, the fourth Saturday because we've got uh, a Euroa market, we've got Bright market, we've got Vanilla, Violet Town, all of those ones that we have to fit in the same cycle with because you only get stallholders when they're not committed elsewhere.
0: You know, it's interesting when you're talking about where to go for advice and going to council and the thing that I would like to add to that is to put together a bit of a plan, go and talk to all of these people, choose a weekend, see what else is on, think about what is going to be different about your Market, maybe speak to some storeholders, see if they'd be interested, and and even potentially speak to the Victorian Farmers Market Association because they've got a stack of resources, people to talk to, people who would love to talk to you, and also a lot of statistics and advice for you. So when you're ready to go, you can go to council and you can show the economic benefit to the town there's proof you can show that you've really thought it through so simply turning up and saying i want to start a market i think that's probably not the best way to go about it because in <laughs> If you go through that process, you might even change your mind, you know? Yes. You know, we touched briefly on this idea of economic benefit. Do you have any stats? Do you have any information on what you're doing and how that's actually contributing to Mansfield?
1: Yeah, to a degree. So our local Shire Council has calculated the economic benefit of an overnight visitor is $351.69 per night. When putting on a, something like a market, you're not necessarily going to get an overnight visitor. But with the other events that I've run, they've all been very, very targeted to hopefully ensuring that someone will stay at least one night, if not two So, if if you were to run an event on a Saturday morning at 11 o'clock, so we're two to two and a half hours, sometimes three from Melbourne, depending on where you're coming from. If you run an event that is on a Saturday morning at 11 a.m., people can still access that event, come up from Melbourne for the day do whatever the event is and then go home. So whilst they're coming up, they're participating in the event, they're hopefully going shopping locally, they're dropping in somewhere for lunch, they're doing all those sorts of things, they're not actually staying overnight. So you're not getting that ongoing economic benefit. Whereas if you can run a cluster of events, so perhaps a Friday night dinner or a Friday night music or a Friday night something, We've got the Mansfield Reading and Writers Festival, I think they're called. They're starting up for the very first time. They've got their inaugural festival in the start of March, And they have a Friday night opening launch event, which has got a music element. Then they've got all of their different author visits and workshops and and everything else over the the weekend. So the carrot is there to come on the Friday night because this is fabulous. You know, yes, you have to enrol, but it's also come along. We've got this awesome music, something for you to do, food, accommodation, you need to stay somewhere, do all those sorts of things. And then they've got two full days of events that you can choose to do bits and pieces of. And so if you said, okay, well, I want to do two of those workshops, one on Saturday and one on Sunday, but you might also then go out for lunch somewhere, go out for breakfast, go and wander around the shops, all of those sorts of things. So that economic benefit within the town is not just necessarily connected directly to the event, but it's that capacity to add benefit to the community and the local the local businesses as well.
0: I know having looked at a lot of funding opportunities, grants and things in the past that particularly from a tourism perspective, if you can show that your event will bring overnight visitors and do more than just bring people in for your particular event, then you definitely stand a better chance of getting some of that grant money because it's, it's an incredibly important thing to do to get people to stay overnight. All of the regional tourism bodies are heavily focused on getting people to stay overnight. And even a region like ours and a region like yours, where a lot of the attractions are actually free and outdoors, you know, it doesn't necessarily bring a lot of money into the town. So yeah, so I I think that tourism and events and things like that are, are definitely much better for the economy.
1: And making connections with those regional tourism bodies, like they're there to help you. Their premise and their reason for being is to bring people into town and uh, advance that tourism. I know that our tourism body has, I think it's five different pillars, and so they range, there's food and wine, there's snow, but there's also there's cultural and there's historical. So if you can have an event that fits into one of their pillars, they're very, very happy to help. They're very happy to, to lead you and say, hey, did you think about doing it like this or, or doing it like that? Can you grow this particular event so that it's not just aimed at community? Because I mean, community events are fabulous, but can we grow that event or tweak it slightly so that it actually becomes a tourism event and then it fits into one of those pillars and then you can work strategically to be able to access those grants and funding that make a great event even even better and bigger?
0: Yeah, that's great advice. And if there's anyone out there who's, who's listening and thinking, oh, I wonder what I could do, or if you've got, if you're sort of sitting on an idea, can be really scary when you've got a really good idea, but you're not quite ready to do anything with it. It can be scary to let people in on those conversations, but there are so many people out there, uh, so many organisations, so many people who will want to see you succeed. It would be a really good idea to start having conversations with people and telling them your idea. and And I know from having started things in the past that actually asking for help shortcuts the some of the most painful processes so Ali what's the best thing about living and working in Mansfield well at the moment I'm sitting in our
1: office which is about 20 meters from the dam I'm looking out onto a big eucalyptus I can see butterflies I can't hear any cars I can't hear any traffic noise. I can't hear any people noise. I mean, granted, I'm 20 metres away from our house as well, so I'm not hearing any of the noise up there. But I think just having the openness. You know, I can walk outside my house and it doesn't matter whether you're We've lived as, as townies, we're on acreage at the moment, we've been townies as well. And even then, just having that space and having that area around you, I re- remember very early on when our children were small and joking with someone who lived in Melbourne that our peak hour is between 8.45 and 9am at school drop-off and then again at between about 20 past three and quarter to four at school pick-up and, you know, that's our peak hour.
0: I love it. Thank you so much, Ali. Thank you so much for sharing your story. And I, I really hope that people are inspired to start up to start up an event in their town. And I know Ali would be fair to say you'd be open to having a chat to someone I know I would be I know I could definitely point anyone in the direction of you know who to speak to and as could you and yeah I really hope that there's people out there who are sitting back thinking about their town and how they could bring more people in more people is more money and I know that sounds a little bit sort of capitalist or something but the more money that comes into a town the better it is for everyone Ali do you want to just give us some of your handles or your website tell us where people can find you
1: ah uh, so there's mansfieldfarmersmarket.com.au or mansfield Farmers Market on both instagram and facebook mansfield lantern festival same.com.au also on facebook and instagram and i'm walker events so that's if you need any help with organising an event or have an idea, I'm very happy to talk. So I mean, find me on Instagram, walker underscore
0: events. Small Town Business was recorded on the lands of the Gunai Kurnai and I would like to pay my respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Big thanks to Chris at Jetstreamer for production and editing support. I'd be talking into a tin can without you don't forget to subscribe or follow. And if you like what you hear, please write a review to help me reach more people. Thanks for listening.